You're listening to the Credit Risk Monitor Podcast. Now here are your hosts, Mike Flum and Jerry Flum. Uh, hello and welcome to the uh, Credit Risk Monitor Podcast. I'm Mike Flum. I'm here with Jerry, my co-host and our CEO. Today, we're going to be talking about the zombie company phenomenon, uh, which many people are talking about in the uh, the news, especially with the interest rate hike environment that we're in and the pressure that's putting on interest rate expenses for those businesses that are already struggling to cover them. So just for everybody's clarity, zombie companies traditionally are defined as those that have an interest coverage ratio of one or less and traditionally have at least two or three quarters or so of negative revenue growth and or negative cash flow. So with that said, you know, we have record-breaking corporate bankruptcies in 2020, followed by really one of the lowest percentages of bankruptcy for public companies uh, in 2021 that we've ever seen. We had central banks continuing to cut interest rates, and uh, all of that's kind of accommodated these, uh, these companies that really are struggling to continue to operate, hence the undead zombie notion. So uh, with that said, you know, we'd love to give you our thoughts on zombies. If you have any questions related to this podcast or any suggestions for uh, future topics, we invite you to email us at podcasts at creditriskmonitor.com. And uh, Jerry and I look forward to uh, any comments that you guys have or suggestions for future topics. With that, Jerry, we've kind of set the stage Zombie companies, counterparty risks. Let's get going. What are your thoughts? Look, this is something that's near and dear uh, to my concerns about what we have to do as a company that analyzes working capital risk at public and private companies all over the world. This is what we do and have been doing for 22 years. And so it's front and center now. And I'd like it and like us to consider the problem here. The problem here is that most zombie companies are measured uh, by how much debt they have in relationship to interest rates and how they pay for it or can't pay for it. Uh, but the clientele that we normally deal with are people who actually are in worse positions. In other words, most of the debt at public companies, and I'm going to discuss public companies first and then privates, is for the most part debt that's been lent uh, to these public companies. Uh, and the reason for that is it's lent or in the form of bonds or notes uh, because these companies, these public companies all have certified financials. In fact, you can't be a public company unless you have three or four years worth of certified financials. And so most lenders want to lend on some asset base, some protection. And so mostly public companies are the place where you can really leverage up a balance sheet. It's a lot harder to leverage up a balance sheet of a private company because a private company may not have these uh, certified financials and therefore the lender kind of has to go on how pretty does the lady look or how handsome is the guy and how's their general conversation where serious lending is asset-based and uh, you need to have financials. So the first thing I want to get across is most of the 
dollars at risk in this whole category of zombies is at public companies. I'm not talking about frequency. Tons and tons of very small or medium-sized private companies will go out of business either voluntarily or being uh, pushed under the process to go bankrupt. But at the end of the day, the dollars at risk are small. Now, when we talk about the credit function of a seller to a buyer, the risk is even worse than it first appears because at the end of the day, when you lend uh, money to a company in a loan or a bond, you have, a, you have an agreement, you have a note, you have a bond, you have an indenture. And so those, those payments uh, are first come before the accounts payable of that company. And for the credit manager, base of human beings out there, you come all of that debt is possibly satisfied in a bankruptcy. And I can tell you that most bankruptcies, the secured debt is getting anywhere from 15 to 25 cents on the dollar, which is a very fun way for us to say that you guys in credit who are financing the receivables, you're going to get little to nothing. If the if the secured lenders can't get all, the odds of the creditors are coming higher than they are is pretty remote. So you guys come last, you're in the worst position of all the creditors, secured and unsecured. So the first thing is you take the most amount of risk of everybody on that balance sheet. So that's the first thing I want to get on the table. The second thing I want to get on the table is if interest rates are very, very low, artificially low, what's going to happen, it gets easier and easier to borrow money because the interest that you're paying on it is artificially restricted or lower than it would normally be in the marketplace. In other words, in the marketplace, as more and more lending occurs, when it's a free market and uh, interest rates start to go up as more and more money is borrowed, risk increases and lenders want higher interest rates. However, if they're artificially depressed, it allows the lenders to go even further and further into debt. And that's what's occurred. So the problem is really large and it's really obscured because interest rates are low. And if interest rates stay low for the next couple of hundred years, then it probably will be less and less of a problem, although the debt will probably balloon to I guess it could end up being 15 or 20 times the GDP of the world, in which case I think most of us have been taught by their mothers and fathers that there is a limit to how much money you can borrow before it gets too risky. And so I think that uh, this confluence has produced the problem we have now. So what does it mean to me? What it means to me is we have this general story that I've been hearing. I'm 80, almost 82 years old. So I've been hearing this story for 60 or 70 years. It gets a little tiresome, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Private companies go out of business. Public companies don't go out of business. Therefore, I can sell on credit to as, uh, to as many public companies as I can, and I can sell as much as I can and not worry about it because they don't go out of business. And I got to tell you, that's, uh, that's like a bad joke that gets repeated and repeated and repeated and or a story that get that's that's just not true and gets repeated a couple of thousand times so everybody believes it. At the end of the day, the half truth is private companies will go bankrupt more frequently than public companies. Public companies will go out of will go out of business and the dollars that 
the people who lent to them or sold to them on credit will be catastrophically large, so much bigger than the private companies that it's a joke. So I, I want to get that firmly on the table. That little fairy tale is really should stop uh, before people get really hurt again. I want to say again, because it happens every couple of years. Uh, this story has to be relearned. Uh, the difference this time is it's larger. So the first thing is the risks at public companies. That's not to say that we don't have a lot of data on private companies. We really do. But we have a frisk score on public companies where we predict bankruptcy. And we've been doing it for years and years and years now. And it's really good. We're 96, 97, 98% predictive on predicting bankruptcy. If you can do better than that, then you should go and do it yourself or go get somebody else who can do it better than that. We've been doing that year after year after year. And what's wonderful about it, it's part of our entire program where we show you and break down and allow you to break down and see why we think that company is a high uh, risk. Now, you don't need to do it if, in fact, or look at this stuff, if it's a very high frisk or five and higher, uh, you might as well save a lot of time and energy and not spend too much time looking at that company. If it's a frisk uh, five or a four or lower, I, I'm, maybe I'm at a loss here, but I can never understand why anybody doesn't monitor uh, all of that, uh, all of that data, or all of those companies, to make sure that they're following the companies that are at risk. The other thing that we've done as a company, we have always kept a goal in our company, and that is that the amount of money that we charge our subscriber base compared to the utility of what we're doing for them has to be that what the utility is higher, and we try to pay very, very close attention to that. So for the subscription that we have, we're going to monitor every day a new score comes out and that we look at the score and we make sure it's up to date daily. So you're right up to date. And we have this 96, 98% predictive thing. And it's at an infinitesimally small amount of money compared to the risk. For me, that's part of the function of a sophisticated business person. What's my cost? What's my uh, upside downside? Downside today in the world on bankruptcy and not being paid or being paid late is astronomically high. You look out there and you might say, hey, look, I don't see a lot of bankruptcies yet. And the proof of the pudding is bankruptcies will be at their lowest level just before they top out and start going into larger and larger. In other words, the top of markets where risk is the least is what is uh, going to precede when risk becomes the most. If risk is already the most, my God, most of the risk is in the marketplace already. And so I want you to pay attention to this. We're at the possible turning point uh, where the risk of bankruptcy is going to go up dramatically. Yeah. If, if I could jump in for a second, I just want to play a little devil's advocate with you there. So, you know, one of the things that we oftentimes hear from uh, from prospects or even you know folks that are considering the service, to your point, is, you know, I've got obviously a lot more private companies that I'm doing business with in publics. But beyond that, too, you know, I think what we've kind of seen in the recent uh, recent history is even with all of this issuance on the bonds and notes that you're talking about, there's been that trend towards, you know, covenant light. And that's been yeah. an interesting kind of uh, you know, I guess change in the the way that a lot of bonds and, and covenants, you know, protected uh, those both secured and unsecured uh, lenders. 
And so these days, you know, without having covenants kind of, you know, implied into the uh, into the agreements, you know, there's been a lot more negotiation between creditors and businesses as they get to these points of inflection. And it just doesn't seem like maybe the same risk of bankruptcy is there if you can have a negotiation with your creditors. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? Look, that's absolutely obviously true. If uh, uh, the le- the guys who are borrowing the money have had such a uh, advantage when uh, central banks of the world have lowered rates, so what they've asked for is they've asked for all the conditions that are normally in a bond or a note to protect the lender. They've asked them to be reduced and in many cases and modified and in many cases taken out of the instrument. Uh, which, of course, allows them to borrow more and more money. The lenders have less and less proof. But again, I think the wonderful thing that we need to pay attention to is, look, if you are a bank or you are a lender, a, cre- a credit lender, there's no doubt that our service is you know, terrific for you guys. But for credit managers, the success of the lenders being able to lend all this money and for the borrowers to borrow all this money. All of this is a major negative for trade creditors. Trade creditors come last. So the bigger the act out on lending to prodigious amounts of money for companies that have no reason to even possibly exist, uh, just makes it horrible for the trade creditors because they come last. And so, uh, you know, one man's plus is another man's negative for the clientele that we primarily uh, address in the credit risk monitor. Uh, that is credit managers uh, and purchasing managers. Uh, actually, the uh, the picture is, if you can believe it, worse. I'd like to say one other thing that uh, somebody has asked me, like, what am I really watching that's going to tell me when this whole game really turns over? Like, what's the number one thing? And I want to tell you what I think the number one thing is going to be. Right now, you have to ask yourself, are the lenders for bonds and mortgages, are they just naturally stupid? I don't think so, but it looks like they're really stupid. What they're really falling back on is they have, as interest rates have come down, stock markets have gone up very, very, very high. In fact, they're at all-time highs on every metric versus uh, a value of a company. So that very high stock market valuation means that the lenders of debt to these horrible companies realize that if the stock is selling at two or three times book value, the guys who are managing these companies who are heavily indebted, those people can always try and sell stock and beef up their balance sheet. So I am saying to all credit managers, keep an eye and purchasing managers, keep an eye on stock markets. If stock markets start to come down, that safety valve of possibly our landline that allows them to get some extra capital to beef up their balance sheet will go away, in which case, you're on your own, and it ain't gonna be pretty. Yeah, so, no, I, 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 just wanna, I just wanna make one one comment on that because I think you hit on a pretty uh, important point there, right? The the market value of equity is a really big component of why you would value a company or be willing to extend to them because they're always going to have that avenue of financing. But to the same extent, you know, a lot of those uh, stock market prices are based upon the fact that interest rates have been abnormally low. So 
future profits are not being discounted, which you can see within some of these growth stocks in the tech bubble, if you will, that we've had where, you know, it's future earnings that are being essentially counted at very, very high percentages versus being discounted out. So as you see interest rates coming up, you know, that's going to have a, a double-edged effect. Number number one, you're going to have to be paying a larger interest rate. But number two, that's going to drive down those valuations as well. So it's kind of double-edged. Yeah, it is. Uh, Mike, you're on the money on that one. It's a, This is going to be a double hit. When this thing starts to come undone, uh, I want everybody to know my prognosis. I'm going to be 82. I ran an investment firm before I got into the credit uh, world, and I ran a hedge fund for started and ran a hedge fund. I'm one of these uh, guys who's uh, been in two areas, corporate world and uh, managing companies and also managing investment companies. And I'm telling you, from my vantage point, when this thing collapses, it will be at the speed of light because of the excesses Michael just mentioned. It's not just stock prices are abnormally high so that they will come down, but as interest rates go up, the discounting function on why prices of stocks are high will all of a sudden flip over and it will become a negative. So I expect a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money and I hope it's not going to be anybody listening to this podcast that they will start to pay attention and let us monitor their risk. Attributes of our Frisk score is one of the four or five things that are imparted into this Frisk score is the price of the stock of the company, how it relates to cash flow, and uh, so, or how it relates to its volatility of going up and down. That's part of our scores. And so, our Frisk scores and pay score, not the pay score because that's private company, but the pay, the Frisk scores are, are designed if it's public that we can have. That's one of the indicators. In other words, we want to look at everything for you and keep you out of harm's way, help you modify things that you're doing so that you're safer. Uh, because I'm telling everybody can't get through the door at the same time. It will never happen. And uh, so that's how I feel about that, Michael. Yeah. And I, I think you, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Um, before we you know, we continued on that train of thought in terms of actual maybe practitioner advice or things that you can do to kind of really dive in on those businesses that require even deeper monitoring. I just wanted to make two more kind of incidental points um, that I think are kind of uh, exemplary of the abnormal environment that we're in. You know, number one, during 2020, you know, that was the, the first time in history that we've actually seen record debt issuance going up in a recession environment. Typically, those yep. two things don't happen. So that's a really weird conundrum where you've got a recession that's being coupled with really low interest rates and no interest rate movement to try and adjust for that. Uh, obviously, the Fed has very little to do from the zero bound. But you know, in general, you, gen you don't just see people being able to issue higher and higher debt lines in the middle of a recessionary environment. And on top of that, in 2021, we even had a, a larger issuance relative to 2022. So you've had the two highest debt lines issued in the last two years under abnormal you know, interest rates. And one anecdotal I'll just give to everyone, you know, let's look at Home Depot, for instance, right? Home Depot is a frisk perennial 10 or nine. So really strong business, 
did very well during the pandemic with the uh, you know the surge in kind of home uh, home restoration, home remodeling, all of that. Home Depot last month sold a 1.25 billion dollar slug of bonds on a 10-year at a 3.25 interest rate. Six months ago, they sold a similar 10-year bond, and they 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 were charging. 1.875% as an interest rate. So that's like a 73% jump in six months for a business that has record profits. I mean, I don't know about you, Jerry, you have more experience in markets than I do, but that seems like a pretty runaway increase over a six month period for a business that's highly profitable like Home Depot. So if that's happening to Home Depot, that means, you know, that means horrible things for those that are already showing negative, you know, net income or you know, negative earnings quarter over quarter. I, again, uh, credit managers got to assume that lenders are stupid and lenders got to assume that credit managers are stupid for this to work. And right now, both sides appear to be winning that argument. And uh, so stupid is stupid. You know, I, I'm, again, I'm old. So, and, you know, I have a, at least some history with it. All, all of this stuff always corrects. Trees do not grow you know, to the heavens, they they stop at Mars. They can't go deeper into the universe than Mars. And so uh, this kind of stuff that people just assume everything is going to keep going the way it is, even though it has no financial way of paying for itself, uh, are going to get, you know, they're basically relying on that they're smarter than everybody else. And they are somehow going to be in front of everybody else. So not only do credit managers view lenders as stupid and lenders view credit managers as stupid. Now everybody in the investor world considers everybody else dumber than they are because we can get out before they get out. And so we just have a universal of dumb, thinks dumb is dumb is dumb. And that can't happen. That, that's just, you know, that is not a good story to build success on. I just want to say, I think, I think it's one thing, right? That can persist for a time, but you know, insanity has a way of correcting itself, right? So that's kind of your point. It can continue, but you know, there are certain professions that have enormous downtime, you know, a downside. And uh, you know, as a young guy, I was in the Marines, and they never sold us life insurance. Those the government gave us ten thousand dollars. No insurance agent ever came on a base and said, "I want to sell you guys life insurance." Because the, 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 the job, the profession we were in, you just knew that wasn't going to be a good deal for the life insurance guys. That's what that this feels like to me. Uh. Why don't we redirect now on to, um, you know, some, some actual tips or, or things we can give to uh, practitioners to kind of focus in on the zombies within their particular portfolios and, and how to address them. Number one, you know, I think there's a combination of things that you should be looking here. Jerry made a, a comment earlier. If you've got a frisk score that's a five or below, if you're in that red zone, that's definitely a company that you should probably monitor, especially if you start to see that uh, systematic decline in frisk score while they're in the red zone or prolonged time in the red zone. You know, the longer that you stay within the red zone, the harder it is to kind of get up and out. On top of that, I think there's some two other things that at least credit risk monitor subscribers can use to evaluate really the uh, the temporality of those particular counterparties. 
So number one is obviously looking at that interest coverage ratio, right? And that, that's covering our performance ratios. So if you do see interest coverage ratios of, you know, I would say honestly below 1.5, you probably should take a look at that business. Obviously, if it's below one, that's, you know, it's a traditional definition of a zombie, but 1.5 or below is definitely firms that need to be looked at. Uh, Michael, those are great ratios to confirm our Frisk score, but I want you to know our Frisk score. That, you know, the beautiful thing about the Frisk score is we built all this stuff already into the Frisk score. I, I want, uh, and I'm with you, that I think that a good purchasing or credit manager is going to look at Frisco and say, my God, this is a company that's ugly. And then right on our site, we allow you to peel it back and look at every single thing. You know, as we're saying, look, we're telling you, now you got to go a little deeper into this company and we're going to show you the stuff that confirms it. But to that point, I think it even goes deeper, right? Obviously, the Frisco score is a great proxy for all these deep financial analysis. If you're going to do FP&A and that kind of thing. I just wanted to make one other point that kind of makes it a temporal issue. Because it's one thing to, to have a sustained red frisk score, to have an interest coverage ratio that's below 1.5. But when you couple that with a large percentage of your total debt being short term or current, you know, i.e. coming up in the next 12 months, that's, I think, something that you really need to keep your finger on because that's kind of a really nice, juicy way to get an insight into the maturity walls that are tied to those debt instruments that we were talking about. And if you are a company that has you know, high short-term debt as a percentage of total debt, it means that you're going to have to go through a refinancing activity in the coming months. That means you're directly exposed to this inflationary interest rate environment that we've been discussing over the last two or three episodes now. And that really means that you're going to have to be dealing with this problem materially in your interest expenses right now versus, you know, two, three, four years out. So there's a lot of people who issued a lot of debt over the last two years. And you know what? What's what's nice for those people is most of them are five year or longer terms. So it's nice to get a lock on a really low interest rate for that period. But those that have those maturity walls coming up are the ones who are going to be first to the uh, to the fire if you will. Well said, well said. I mean, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they're going to be able to see right in our report those ratios that you're you're suggesting because we run them all and we run them over years, quarter to quarter. We All that stuff's right in there and they need to look at this stuff. You know, the other thing I think I would love everybody to do is to understand that I talk to a lot of companies and lots of executives of companies and they'll say to me, look, we're not too worried because we don't have excessive debt. And therefore, uh, you know, we, we, we're not concerned. Or the guys we're selling to don't have a, a lot of debt. And I want everybody to understand in a debt crisis where companies start going out of business because the balance sheets are too leveraged, what's going to happen is before these companies go out of business, they are going to cut their prices. So they bring in whatever revenue they can. As an old saying, they're going to cut their uh, cut their prices to two or three dollars above cash flow break even because they need to generate cash flow. So prices for everybody in the industry that either your company is competing against or that one of your suppliers is competing within or one of your customers is competing against. As prices start to go down at the weaker companies, 
and there's so many of them now, prices come down. That means profitability for everybody comes down. Even the well-managed, even under-leveraged companies have pricing problems because they have a competitor or competitors that are selling somewhat similar products at much lower prices because they have to. And for the buyer of those products, uh, you know, uh, he's going to on the margin drift towards these lower prices, which means even the great run companies are going to start to have margin infringement, margin reduction. You know, the the buildup into debt is a very exhilarating and everybody thinks they're brilliant because there's more and more business on the table as everybody borrows money. Conversely, as debt starts to contract because people are going out of business, it is a very, very difficult economic environment for even well-run companies. God knows the barely managed over leveraged ones are going to go into serious trouble. And I'd like to quote Warren Buffett for everybody. I know I've said this on a couple of occasions, but I'm going to quote him, not in the words that Warren exactly said, but this is the context. And this is what he said. He said, it takes a world-class, lousy business manager to drive a risk-free company out of business. Okay. If, as long as you have no debt, you got to be world-class bad to drive that company out of business. Conversely, the more debt you have, it doesn't matter how good a manager you are, the riskier it gets for your company and therefore everybody competing with you because you're not going to go out of business without creating havoc in the industry. So the amount of debt all through these industries is something that we all really got to pay attention to because we're now at the end of a long stick and in that stick are some very over leveraged companies and the fluctuation that they will cause as they get into trouble is going to be huge. So it's very, very important uh, to really pay attention. And these zombie companies are the beginning of that long stick. And there are lots of them. We had 30 or 40% of public companies, if I remember the number, were, were these zombies. That's like staggering. And uh, uh, I don't think people truly understand uh, the magnitude uh, of the correction that could come and come at the speed of light. These are unhealthy things. You hit the nail on the head there with that last comment, which is how quick the snapback can be. And for yeah. our, our yeah. customers and certainly our on the you know the credit side, uh, issuing trade credit, or even on the supply chain side, where you're working with uh, with suppliers, you know if you get into those situations where there is a big snapback and there's a, a huge dearth of funding or a big you know maturity wall that's coming that can't be refinanced at reasonable rates, those have enormous impacts on the ability of that company to continue operating. And to your point, it forces them into almost that sort of a fire sale scenario where they're doing anything they can to generate cash flow to keep it up. Yeah. You know, definitely something that anybody who is doing counterparty risk of any sort, whether it's credit or supply, should be paying attention to. Just close that out by saying you should really be looking at some of those short-term debt percentages as a percent of total debt to really get a feel for who's going to be hit quickly because 
I would spend a lot more time looking at those ones in the short term while you're you know, coming up with your general strategy. By the way, we do have in our analysis, when we break apart these companies, we do uh, it's interesting line item. We will show you annually, quarterly, all that stuff. We'll show you what percentage of the inventory at company X is financed by its vendors or, or credit managers are, are financing that inventory. I mean, it's uh, it's really amazing the amount of analysis we built into the company, which we make readily available. And the other thing I would love to push, you know, it's one of my little projects, and that is part of our service that is part of it. We don't charge extra for it. If you give us your trade receivable file, we'll take your name off it. We're collecting almost two and a half trillion dollars of this annually. So a lot of large companies are giving to us and more are giving to us every day. But what's the advantage? Advantage. Once you give us this trade at our expense, or which you paid for it already, we go out and link and match it, and we're going to be able to show you what part of your receivables are at risky frisk companies and show you who they are, what companies they are. And conversely, for the purchasing managers, same thing. Uh, we don't get your, your trade credit, but we are now looking, if you give us part of your spend, we can tell you where your spend is in risky companies. I mean, all of this is part of our service. It's free. You know, we work really hard to get people to take advantage of something that costs us millions of dollars a year to do. And, and we got to, you know, call people and tell them for crying out loud, do it. It's free. We still got to yell at them. Amazing to me. You know, it's my second best peeve uh, that I hear, uh, you know, second to, uh, you know, public companies don't go out of business. You know, you know, having run a hedge fund and an investment for 40 years, to hear that kind of a statement out of the mouths of people is, holy cow, that's a winner. I mean, my God, I've seen too many public companies go out of business. And right now, they're undergoing out of business because of the uh, undercharging for interest. So when this comes back, we will make up five or 10 years of underperformance by severe overperformance in an ugly metric, bankruptcy. Well, I think you uh, you closed it out with <laughs> both a sentient and morbid point, but certainly the uh, you know the return to norm uh, for bankruptcies, uh, I think, is something everybody should be paying attention to. Look, we are willing to get on the phone, and if need be, you want us to come out and visit your company and sit down with your management, whatever. We're willing to come out and talk. You know, we, we we really kind of are good at this stuff. We've been doing it forever. We have backgrounds in this. If you need us, we're available. This is our business. This is what we do for a living. We're frightened about what we see out there. So we want to make ourselves available. Certainly, we can do it with Zooms and talk to whoever the managers need to uh, want us to talk to. All right. I think we've uh, officially killed some undead here. So, uh with that, why don't we wrap this up? Jerry, thanks for the time. As always, your points are well taken. For everybody out there uh, who's listening, thank you. Uh, we would love some uh, some subscription or subscribes. So, you know, if you uh, if you are enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe to our channel so you get all of our latest podcast information. And uh, to Jerry's point, if there are any uh, conversations that you think we should be having with your management. We're more than happy to do that. So with that, uh, thank you from uh, myself and Jerry, Credit Risk Monitor, our Thanks. entire team. And, Thanks. Uh, we'll and
answering these questions with me, Mike, and helping to moderate and trying to keep me in bounds. Thank you. <laughs> I do my best. Anyway, you're always a it's, pleasure, Jer. Okay, guys. All right. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to the Credit Risk Monitor Podcast. Want to ask Mike and Jerry a question? Email podcast at creditriskmonitor.com. And for more information on how Credit Risk Monitor can protect your portfolio from financial risk, check out creditriskmonitor.com.